Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. As Pastor John has already mentioned to us, today is the, on the universal church-wide calendar is our celebration of Palm Sunday. And this is just, this Sunday is the kickoff to the Holy Week in, in which Jesus um, goes to the cross and eventually raises, rises from the dead on, on Easter Sunday. And there's a lot of events that is taking place um, during this week, um, not only events, but also times of where Jesus just set his disciples aside just to teach them about the very fact that he is about to die and he is preparing them for his eventual death. And so for us as, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is what would be a holy week for us. Just be able to reconnect with the joy of knowing Christ and being, and being reminded of all that he has accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. And I hope that in some way this week on, on your daily calendar, you can carve out some personal time that you would um, be in the scriptures and just walk through these events leading to Calvary so that you just might be caught up in, in awe and in worship of what he has accomplished for you and I. If you, if you uh, don't have a devotional out there, uh, Pastor Tony has created a, a Holy Week devotional just for this. And so you can find that on the Northbridge app um, if you so desire that. Northbridge app is where it'll be. But I hope you'll take up those opportunities just to, just to bask in the wonder of, of this Easter season. Um, what took place this, in this next week between Palm Sunday and, and Resurrection Sunday, um, the writers of the four Gospels saw that as very telling. So telling that the majority of the four Gospels is centered on this one week. Yes, they covered the three years of ministry of Jesus while, while on earth. But if you think about this, Matthew and Mark give a third of their Gospel accounts to this seven-day stretch. Luke gives a quarter of his writings to this upcoming week. But John, where we're going to be at this morning out of John 12, John takes the, half of his entire book, half of the 21 chapters of John, is focused on this one week. So this week is very pivotal for us. As the apostles were looking at this week, they're telling us, don't miss these ex- extraordinary events because they have so meaning for our common salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, for, for John, John had a front row seat to these events. John was, was with Jesus as he was riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. Maybe he was one of the disciples that Jesus had sent ahead of him to go find the donkey for him to, to ride in on. We don't know, but he had the front row seat. So his account is, is very vivid, and there are things that John includes in his writings about um, uh, this, this day that no one, not the other three uh, writers of the Gospels, mention. And in John chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, here's this little nugget that John just inserts that just really captured my heart. And this is what it says. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
There was something that captivated these people's hearts that they had to go. They, they went and they begged Philip for just a few moments, an opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. And this is the, the beauty of our Savior, that while he was walking on this earth in his three years of ministry, he captivated people. For those who are broken and walking in shame, those who are marginalized, those who were, were given up on, those who were labeled sinners, they were drawn to Jesus. And these Greeks, we don't know much about them, but something had captivated their heart as well. And for the last 2,000 years, this Jesus of ours, this, this Savior of ours, this Messiah of ours, have been capturing people's hearts. He's been capturing people's attention. And people throughout the ages have wanting to know more. They've been seeking out Jesus. His attraction has never faded. Even to this day, he st- his, his teachings still confound the wise. He's still attractive to those who are, who are far, far from God as he calls out in his love for the prodigal to return to God. He's attractive to people because he promises all of us that, that he is willing to take on all of our burdens in life and he's willing to take them on himself. He's still attractive today because he's, he went willingly to the cross to die for our sins. His sinlessness for our sins. His life so that we might have life eternal. And on Calvary, he bore our sins so that, so that the wrath of God towards us would be satisfied. And in his resurrection, on that glorious Easter Sunday, he gave us this promise, the greatest promise of all, that in and through him would be eternal life. And that life would far outweigh any type of experience of life that we could ever have on this earth. When I was 12 years old, I was one of those seekers as well, that I wanted to to see Jesus for myself. But you see, what happened was for three years prior to that moment where I, I had this aha moment that I wanted Jesus to be my Savior, I spent three years under the tutelage of Mr. and Mrs. Posey, who loved me unconditionally, and who shared the gospel with me over and over and over again until I had that aha moment for myself where I said to me, I need to see Jesus myself. And across this room, and and for those of us that are joining us online this morning, you can also join me in your own testimonies. Many of you have phenomenal testimonies of how Jesus encountered you and how you went seeking after him in your life. And every single testimony of every one of us who has been found by Christ, who has been saved by Christ, is glorious and unique. But it all started with a curiosity about Jesus. According to John 12, 20, these Greeks who wanted to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus were were converts to the Jewish faith. They had, made, they had made their way to Jerusalem to be a part of the Passover activity. But at some point in time, um, their lives intersected with Jesus. 
We don't know if it intersected when he was doing ministry in, in their city, when he healed the blind man. Um, we don't know if it was in the, in the week leading up to uh, Palm Sunday when he was doing some phenomenal things uh, outside of Jerusalem. He's made his way into Jerusalem. We just don't know. All we know is that something had stirred in their hearts and they had to see Jesus. Now, this, this desire to see Jesus, it was, it was, it was polite. But it was also straightforward. They needed to come near to him. They just didn't want to hang out with him. They needed to experience him. They needed me to make sure he was who he said he was. And so they begged, they begged for an audience with him. So why was there were so much interest in Jesus? Now, not only were the, those Greeks um, in, in, in encountering Jesus, but also, there was hundreds of others that, that went out into the roads. And Matthew says they laid down their coats and they got out there. They stripped the palm branches off the trees and they laid them before Jesus. Why was there so much interest in Jesus on this Palm Sunday? Well, <clears throat> John gives us two reasons why people were so fascinated with Jesus, so curious about Jesus and he, he points them out in this, in this passage out of John 12. The first reason he says that people were interested in Jesus is, was that he was an antithesis to religion. He was not religion. He was one who came about to shatter everything to do with religion. Look at what he says in verse 12 through verse 18 of John 12. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And it's very, just to pause there, back in John 11, um, it was the talk of the town. Will, will Jesus actually show up um, for the Passover? Will he actually come to Jerusalem? Well he, well, he shows up, verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had, for they had heard he had done the sign. Now, there were three uh, festivals that every um, able-bodied Jewish person was required to be in Jerusalem. It was Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacle and then the Passover. And the Passover was basically a celebration of remembrance of God's deliverance of of their forefathers um, from the hands or the bondage of Egypt and how he rescued them and, and brought them into the promised land. But over the years, um, Passover, just like the other feasts, have been just drowned out in ritual. Every year it was the same thing. It was the same rituals. It was the same prayers. It was the same rites. Everything that was going on, everyone knew um, by memory what was going to happen step by step. And as John's pointing out, there's something stirring in this crowd that they wanted something different. Yes, they were there to celebrate, but they needed and yearned for something more than what their religion was giving them. 
So when Jesus came on the scene three years prior, he was a different story altogether. He was a great prophet, a great teacher, some would say, because what he was doing was he, he systematically went through and he defined every single religious tradition that was established. He spoke against all those teachings of the Pharisees, the, the religious rulers of the day. He went up against all their teachings that had everything to do with man-made traditions and rituals. And one by one, he spoke truth to them. Because in, in Jesus' view and in, in Jesus' coming and Jesus' teaching, it, we were not to put barriers between man and God. He was here to destroy all those barriers so that all could come to know God. And this is a, a breath of fresh air to people. You mean, you mean God is more interested in, in me than he is my ritual? You mean, you mean God loves me more than ceremony? You mean I matter more to God than, than tradition? And that's what Jesus was saying. Yes, you matter to God. And he was, he was teaching things and demonstrating things that religion can never do for us. Religion will never give you life. Religion will never give you freedom. Religion will never give you hope. Only Jesus can do those things for us. If you are captivated by sin, ritual will not set you free. Only Jesus can. If you're in bondage um, to your past or to hurts or to habits, rituals and, and prayers and tradition can do nothing for you. Only Jesus can. And so he was a, a breath of fresh air to stale, stagnant religion. And that's why the people, when he comes into Jerusalem and they see him, they're, they're excited and they're, and, they're, and they're amazed by him. And they were just so caught up in the joy that they ripped off the branches and began to lay them before them, those palm branches. We know in Leviticus, as well as in Revelation, those palm branches were, were symbols of rejoicing. So they were rejoicing. They were, shout, they were shouting Hosanna. And what Hosanna means basically is they were just shouting, save us now. Give us what our, our religious rituals and traditions cannot give us. Save us. Now, look what, John, look what John says in verse 19. This is very fascinating to me. In, in 12, 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, look, the world has gone after him. And so, and so even the Pharisees knew the game was up. That all that they had to offer people, um, people were not interested in anymore. They were interested in what Jesus came and gave. He was, they were interested in, in him bringing the hope. They were interested in the abundant life. They were interested in, in his joy. You see, Jesus does for us what religious can't, religion cannot do. One of the very things I think is more fascinating about, about Jesus is that he shares with us and shows us the unrelenting love 
that God has for each and every one of us. Not just for those who who are perfect and are good and wonderful Christian people, but Jesus loves all people. You know, one of the things I got to, the privilege I had um, was I was able to go to to one of Billy Graham's last evangelistic meetings. And if you don't know who Billy Graham, I know we have a, a new generation that's with us that maybe never experienced Billy Graham, but um, growing up, Billy Graham was the man. He has, he has spoken to more people about the gospel of Jesus Christ than any other man in history. And I said, man, before he gives up the ministry, because he was already in his 90s back then, before he gives up his ministry, I wanted to go and, and hear him speak the gospel. So in 2004, he was doing his, one of his last ministries um, at, at Arrowhead Stadium, and I went to that stadium, and it was just packed with people. And I remember him just giving this incredible message. And, and if you know anything about Billy Graham, I mean, here, here was, he always preached just a simple message that Jesus loves you. He always spoke out of John three sixteen for the most part. He always had that one text that Jesus loves you and he went to the cross to die for your sin. And there was this invitation to come and to, and to take on Jesus. I remember sitting in, in my seat in Arrowhead Stadium and just watching as he gave this simple testimony and how just people by the thousands just, just went onto the field at Arrowhead to, to signify that they were going to become followers of Jesus Christ. You see, the world still runs after Jesus today. The world is still captivated by, by all that Jesus is. And we as, as his followers should never come to this place to think that, that smoke and mirrors and, and technology and buildings and programs, that's what's going to attract people. Listen, I'm not, I'm not denouncing that at all. But what I'm saying is that we have this incredible, this incredible good news from God in the form of his son, Jesus, that wherever Jesus is lifted up, Wherever Jesus has spoken in, in, our, in our corporate worship experiences, on our personal um, testimonies, on our conversations we have with family friends, wherever Jesus is lifted up, people will be attracted to him. Look, the world has gone after him. And the world has gone after him because Jesus does for them what religion can't. Secondly, the reason why people are drawn to Jesus is he's the only source of life. Now, when Andrew and, and Philip went to Jesus and told him that there was a group of people that wanted to meet with him, he, it, the, John records a very interesting uh, response from Jesus. And this is what he says in, in verse 23 and verse 24. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, we do not know um, by this context whether he's speaking to Philip and Andrew or whether he's speaking uh, to the Greeks. But I believe, personally believe, that he is speaking um, to both Philip and Andrew and the Greeks at the same time. Right? I don't think Philip and Andrew just went away. I think they were just standing there wanting to see this encounter, especially Philip since he was a Greek himself as well. And so there Jesus was, and I believe that as these people were drawing close to Jesus, Jesus was basically letting them know, 
Um, it's not about the, the, the wonderful things that I've done. It's not about the miracles that I have performed. Um, there's something more to um, me. And he says, listen, my, my time is here. My time is at hand where I'm about to be glorified. Uh, I know that I, I have a cross before me. And as long as I, I, I remain alive, there is, there, the, it is not finished. And he uses a, a, an illustration that any farmer would understand in Jesus' day. And that is this. He says, as long as, 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 a, as a, a kernel of corn, a seed, is outside of the ground, it is of no use. But once that, 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 that seed is planted into the ground, it germinates. And out of that seed that's buried in the ground, it produces life. What Jesus is, is telling those, those, those Greeks and he's telling us today is that it is his death that seals the deal. It is his death and his coming resurrection that guarantees life. And not only just life here on this earth and on all of its abundancy, but life in all of its fullness. Life in all of its fullness and eternity. And it can only come through his death. That is why Jesus must die. That is why Jesus willingly, willingly goes to Calvary. Because he knows that he must become that sacrificial lamb so that all men might be saved. Now, in 1 John 5.11, I don't have this on the screen for you. But but John in 1 John 5.11 captures this for us. And he he says this, For he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. You may say, yeah, David, I am a Christian. David, I'm a good person. David, I I live my life by the commandments of God. David, I've done done no wrong. I'm just, I'm, I'm uh, I'm a good person. And what John says, well, you may, that may be all true. But you don't have life. You have ritual, you have tradition, but you don't have eternal life. For the only way that we can have eternal life is by receiving Christ as our Savior. I, I can't put it any better than, than Paul did in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 11, when he gives us this description of Jesus' willingness to go to the cross. He says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When John was taking in that scene on the road entering into Jerusalem, he, just like every other disciple, did not fully grasp what was really going on. They did not understand until after Jesus was glorified that everything that was happening on that, on that Sunday morning or that Sunday morning going into Jerusalem was all, was all to fulfill prophecy. You see, for John was caught up in the moment. He thought, he thought Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom. 
And he and other disciples, I mean, they were just so, so excited about the opportunity that that was at hand, that Jesus was about to be crowned king. And for, for John and for the other disciples, um, they thought that by the end of the week, <laughs> Jesus was going to be ruler over all. But what he could not perceive in that moment with the crowd just shouting out Jesus' name was this, that um, they would go from shouts of save us now to crucify him now. They could not comprehend that, that instead of a kingly crown, he'd be given a crown of thorns and that he would not ascend to a throne at the end of the week. He would be ascending to a cross. And only Jesus could understand that his kingship had nothing to do with with politics, had nothing to do with ruling over over lands of people. That had everything to do about setting men free from their sin and the power of Satan. Sixty years after that Passion Week, John, the apostle, is the only one that's left. All the other disciples, all the other original apostles, including Paul himself, had been martyred in their faith, but 60 years as an old man, turning around 90 years of age, John is pinning a letter to a next generation of believers in 1 John who had never who had never seen Jesus themselves physically. It was a generation that only heard the stories passed down to them about who Jesus was. And so they had to begin to live and operate on faith that everything that was said about Jesus and all of his teachings and all of his miracles and his death and his resurrection were, were true. And, and John is that, is that last connection to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, this is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This morning in this room and online, if there is this desire within you to see Jesus, he is ready to save you. If you are wanting to be forgiven of your sins, he is ready and able to forgive you, to set you free from all your past hurts and habits and hang-ups. And he is willing to show you in this very moment mercy. He's willing to show you unbelievable love. And the scripture makes makes clear how salvation happens. We often complicate salvation, but salvation is very simple. It's just simply putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's exchanging your life for his life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 makes it very clear to us. This is how one can be saved. We confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that God raised him from the dead. You too will be saved. It's that simple. 
It is a decision based on faith and trust that everything that God has promised in his word that he will do for you and through your belief in Jesus, he will do. It's an action of faith. That's simple. No ritual to go through. No traditions to adhere to. Simply by faith, placing your trust that Jesus Christ can only save you from your sin. That Jesus Christ can only forgive. That Jesus Christ can only give you mercy. That Jesus Christ is only the only way in which you might go to heaven when you die. That Jesus Christ is the only way for you to know God. That Jesus Christ is the full truth. He is the only way. He is the only hope. Will you bow your heads with me? And as you bow your heads with me, I'm just going to end our time a little different. So all across this room and even online, if you would just, just pause where you're at and, and bow your head and close your eyes. And, and I just want to simply just talk to those that might be in this room this morning or online with us that, that may have never given their life to Christ. And, and maybe today you, for the first time, are just interested and you want to know Christ more. In the sacred moment when we're just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in in prayer, this is how you can can do this. This is how you can invite Jesus into your life. Just by by saying through a, a, a moment of prayer, and I can even help you walk you through that prayer if you want. And so, so as you're there on your seat, let me just pray this prayer. And you just pray after me. Jesus, I want to experience your mercy in my life today. And I believe you are the Son of God and you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. I admit I'm a sinner in need of the Savior and I'm inviting you into my life right now. Come into my life and and forgive me. Amen. That was a simple invitation to a simple message to an extraordinary Savior in Jesus Christ. And if you've made that commitment to Jesus today, I just want to invite you to grab a pastor, Tony, John, or myself after, after the service is over with, And share with us um, what God had just done in your heart. Share with us that commitment. If you're online, Paul's online with you. I encourage you to reach out to Paul and and share with him if you've made that decision as well today. If you're frightened by one of us three pastors, right? I can't believe that because we're just so wonderful and smiling and friendly. Um, Share that with someone that you came with, a friend of yours or another family member. But don't keep that to yourself. And for us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I hope today, I hope today just walking through this Palm Sunday morning message and, and, and hearing about Jesus and what he's done for us, I hope that has captivated you as well. That as you walk into this holy week, you are already amazed by his grace and by his mercy and by his extravagant love for you. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. 
If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.